Morning. Hi. Um, I want to just start off, actually, before we get into things this morning, by recommending a book to you. This is a book called The Good God, and it's written by someone called Michael Reeves. Michael Reeves is one of my favorite Bible teachers, and this book is one of my favorite books. I like it for a number of reasons. Firstly, it is all about God, who he is, and that makes all the difference. Secondly, it's a really small book, and I like that about it. And the book is divided into short chapters, and the chapters are divided into short sections. So all of that works really well for me because sometimes I can only take in a tiny bit. And so this is a really good book. I thoroughly recommend it. And as always, if it's good enough to recommend, it's good enough to give away. So someone will find that um, under their chair, there is a book that's being stuck to it. And um, hopefully, hopefully it's still there. I think, it, I think it's over around where Pam is sitting, actually, quite possibly. Of course, my DIY skills are not amazing, so the book <laughs> might not... Yay! It's still there. So enjoy, enjoy. We'll be giving another one away this afternoon in our afternoon service. And I've bought a third book, which will have Oasis Church on it, but that will go into the library, and you can borrow that and then give it back again. So do, do read this. It's a fantastic book and has really shaped some of what I'm going to say this morning. We are today beginning a series in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, which will see us through to about Easter time. And we've entitled this series, Home Origins. Now, does anybody watch Who Do You Think You Are? Does anyone watch that show? Yeah, okay. Well, people tend to love that show, particularly once they reach a particular age. I don't know why that is, but (laughs) after a while, we want to know... Something about our family history and maybe where we come from. And (coughs) my family have engaged in that as well, to find out a little bit about about the Blaber family history. Now, there were a few theories. Now, I liked the theory that the Blabers came over with the French in 1066 with William the Conqueror. So maybe you should be calling me the Blebers. And and we were uh, victorious. But actually, no, that's that's not the case. We... The the name Blaber comes from the Anglo-Saxon, meaning teller of secrets. And so probably, probably we were originally blabbers. That's probably the right way to pronounce our names. And so you should be careful what you tell me. Um, The name Genesis means origins. And it's the book of the Bible that sets up everything that follows. Indeed, much of the rest of the Bible echoes themes and images which are found in Genesis. And Genesis speaks about how everything began, the origins of the universe, of the human race, of the troubles that we all experience, both within and without, and of the initiative of God to renew and to restore all things. And so it's not an instruction manual. It's not a a scientific instruction book, although there's science within it. Rather, it is the story that explains what life is all about. And two weeks ago, for Vision Sunday, Adrian shared that we have felt God speak to us about home being a key word for Oasis this year. What does it look like to be at home with God? And how can we, as a church, be a home shaped by Jesus that is for the good of all people? 
And we are living through a time where concepts of how to define and govern and demarcate and fence off lands that we call home are a hot socio-political topic in all of the world and certainly also for the land that we call home. And that can be quite disorientating no matter which end of the political spectrum you fall on. There's much talk which involves fear and hate and confusion. And our society is struggling with a sense of lostness. In the first few chapters of Genesis, we see what home was originally intended to be like. The origins of home. And understanding something about the origins will help us to shape how we enjoy and build home now. Just as the foundations of a house determine the shape of that house. So we are going to be in Genesis chapters 1 to 3, this term, exploring home from the perspective of the origins of all things, okay? And the first thing I want to ask is, in the beginning, what? In the beginning, what? Human beings have always told origin stories. And those stories have always had a powerful effect in shaping how people understand life, themselves, and the world around them. In the ancient times, the kind of stories told about the beginning of all things will sound quite strange to us, but then our stories would sound quite strange to them. So, for example, the Mesopotamians, which included Babylon, recorded a creation story in a document called the Enuma Elish, which was discovered by archaeologists in the 19th century AD, but dates back to 1800 BC. And in the Enuma Elish, it tells about the god Marduk who fought and killed an ocean goddess called Tiamat in a kind of pre-creation chaos event. And Marduk then used the severed remains of Tiamat to create everything. And so our origins are all a bit gruesome, if you believe that story, and chaotic. And the purpose of humanity, according to Marduk, is to serve the gods. That's what we're here for. The Egyptians told their stories, too, about a god called Atum, who made the universe from his own bodily fluids, his spit and mucus and other unmentionables. Now, to be fair, over the last two weeks, I have felt like a bag of mucus because I've had a very bad cold. But according to the Egyptians, all I ever am is a big bag of mucus. So, Mucus Mike, you could call me. Made, according to the Egyptians, by Atum because he was lonely. And so he needed humanity. These were the creation stories that the people of Israel had been told during their period of slavery in Egypt. And it would be very easy for their thinking to be shaped by those stories and the way that they see the world. But God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt, claiming them as his own people, promising a new home, a promised land. And so he gave Moses the first five books of the Bible, his word, so that those scriptures might shape them to know the truth of who God is and who they are and where it all began. Not conjuring up stories by human reason or imagination, but receiving revelation from the living God. His people needed to know the truth about home's origin and be shaped by that truth. And so do we. In our culture too, in our times, we often hear origin stories. Some suggest that the origins of the universe are chaos and blind chance. 
we're just a big fluke, an improbable accident. In fact, everything is. And this accident favors the strong over the weak, so the more selfish you are, the better. If that's your origin story, then it's a dog-eat-dog world, and you'd better get eating before it's too late. But you'd better not stop to think too much about things like meaning and purpose, because in a world who finds its origins in chaos and chance, those concepts are just an illusion. But others suggest that ultimate origin of all things is found in power. And there is both theistic and atheistic versions of that origin story that we hear. Some say that everything started with internal, impersonal, cosmic laws of physics, the push and pull of of which led to an explosion of power. Others give power a name, and they call that power a god of some description. A distant, single, divine being who created everything, the primary identity of whom is creator, almighty power. That's the basic identity. Many religious ideas start with that basic premise about God. In the beginning, power. If our origins are from a mighty power, then you'd better get busy serving that power and try to work yourself up the power chain as quickly as you can. And that's where things can get really ugly. Karl Barth was a hugely influential theologian in the 20th century, and he was Swiss, but living in Germany at the time of the Nazi regime as it began to to grow in power, and he actively opposed Hitler in the 30s and 40s. And Barth says this of Hitler. He said, perhaps you recall how when Hitler used to speak about God, he called him the Almighty. But it is not the Almighty who is God. We cannot understand from the standpoint of a supreme court of power who God is. And the man who calls the Almighty God misses God in the most terrible way. For the Almighty is bad as power in itself is bad. The Almighty means chaos, evil, and the devil. We could not better describe and define the devil than by trying to think this idea of a self-best, free, sovereign ability. Bart is not saying there that God is not Almighty. He is simply saying that if mighty power is your basic definition of God, then you will come to an idea of God very different to him who is revealed in the scriptures. And it will form you in ways that can be potentially horrific. And history tells that story. Origin stories have a powerful influence. We can't figure this out for ourselves. We, like the people of Israel in the desert, carrying all the stories they heard with them, Crowding around Sinai, we need to have truth revealed to us. So what does the Bible say? What is our origin story? What is at the heart and the beginning of everything? In the beginning, what? Let's open up our Bibles together. So we're going to read initially from Genesis chapter 1, but also from John's Gospel chapter 1. It says this in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And then you turn to the first chapter of John's Gospel. It says this, in the beginning was the word. 
And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that was and that and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The origins of the universe are found in God. In the beginning, God. So, of course, the question is, who is God? What is he like? And the whole of the Bible answers those questions. When you pick up this book, it is not primarily telling you about yourself. It is telling you about God. And it starts here in Genesis. In the beginning, God. And John's gospel, the fourth gospel, mirrors the account of Genesis. Did you pick that up? Could you see that? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what does all this tell us about God? It tells us that in the beginning was not solitary power, not random chaos, not impersonal forces. In the beginning was a relational God of love. Before there was anything else, God has eternally existed in loving relationship. And so 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 says, God is love. That is his very essence. God, not God is power. God is love. Father loving the Son in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, what we call the Trinity. The Bible reveals a God of three distinct persons, perfectly united in loving, joyful relationship. One God in three persons. Now, I know this is a head spinner. It is. We have a hard time trying to conceive of it. And that can lead to the temptation to think it's just something we can park. You know, it's, it's an unimportant part of Christianity, whereas actually it's the very foundation of the Christian faith because it is who God is. That's why the Bible can say God is love. For no single person God could be love at his very core. A single person God, and many of the religions around talk of a single person God, could not be love because on his own before creation, he would have no one to love. So before being love, such a God must in essence be something else, like power, or powerful creator. A God like that would be dependent upon creation in order to be who he is. To be creator, he needs creation. One of the things that I am is driver. I drive a car. It's questionable how well I drive the car, but I drive it. But in order to be driver, I need car, or else driver makes no sense at all. <laughs> Driving Becca mad, perhaps. But to be driver, I need car. And to be creator, God would need creation if that's his primary identity. A lonely, needy God like Atom and other single person deities or a self-centered God of chaos who just creates in order to be served like Marduk. Only the triune God of the Bible can, set, can be said to be God at his very core. In the beginning, God. 
Genesis 1.1. God is love, 1 John 4.8. So in the beginning, love. The opening lines of John's gospel are packed with this origin truth. John speaks of the word who was with God and who was God, a word who proceeds from God and creates all things. So that from this word comes life and light, a light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Just a little bit of an aside on that. Of course, the darkness has not overcome light. Because when light comes, there's no competition, is there? A bit later tonight, you will go into your bedroom and it will be dark and you will switch on the light and the darkness will be gone. The light overwhelms the darkness. There's no competition here. Such is the power of the word of God. It creates what it commands. It cannot be overcome. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us in Jesus. He is, as the hymn says, God from God, light from light, very God of very God. Jesus proceeds from the Father, spreading the light of the Father's goodness, which is why Hebrews 1.3 says he is the radiance of God's glory. Now, there's a chap called Gregory of Nyssa, which is a bit of a cooler name than Mike Blaber, and he was a, a bishop in the fourth century, and he used this imagery of the light of a lamp, which in his day would have been a, 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 a fire on the end of a stick to explain the relationship between the Father and the Son. And he pointed out that the, the, the light and brightness that proceed from a lamp are so intrinsically connected to that lamp that as soon as the fiery lamp is there, so is the radiant brightness that comes with it. So you can't have one without the other. The two are completely united so as to be one. Where there's a lamp, a fiery flaming lamp, there is brightness that radiates from it. So the Father being Father is never without the Son, nor the Son without the Father. They are completely one. And Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory. And this glory is communicative. It spreads outwards to be known. And so Jesus is called God's word sent forth to communicate and spread the light and the life of who God is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see in Genesis 1. We see God creating by his word. We see initially that the world is without form, void, in darkness, and the Spirit of God is hovering over it in anticipation. That is such a, such a beautiful image. Derek Kidner, in his commentary, explains that this description should bring to mind the sense of a mother bird hovering or fluttering over her brood. Attentive, loving. Love is driving this whole creative activity. Kidner explains that the verb translated hovering here reappears in the Bible in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 11, to describe the eagle's movements in stirring up its young to flight. It's so involved. The spirit hovering, waiting to bring forth light, to nourish, to empower. In the power of this spirit, the word of God is spoken. Let there be light. And there was light. And the light was good. 
God's goodness communicated and spreading the light and the warmth of his very person in the power of the Spirit. In the beginning, God. God is love. So in the beginning, love. The loving union of Father, Son, and Spirit creating an overflow of the eternally satisfying love they've always enjoyed. And we see echoes of this in Genesis. Echoes of this Genesis scene in Jesus' baptism, bursting forth. Let's look at Jesus' baptism. It says in Matthew 3, verse 16 to 17, the events of Jesus' baptism are recorded. It says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately... So picture the scene. Jesus is standing in the Jordan River and he's baptized there. And it says immediately when he went up from the water, behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What a glorious moment in history. The very nature of the triune God being revealed in time and space. And then Jesus immediately is led by the Spirit into the desert after his baptism. Mike Reeves in that book says this about about the baptism scene. He says, the the way the Father, Son, and Spirit related at Jesus' baptism was no one-off. The whole scene is full of echoes of Genesis 1. There at creation, the Spirit also hovered, dove-like, over waters. And just as the Spirit, after Jesus' baptism, would send him out into the lifeless wilderness, so in Genesis 1, the Spirit appears as the power by which God's word goes out into the lifeless void. In the very beginning, God creates by his word, the word that would later become flesh, and he does so by sending out his word in the power of the Spirit. That's what's being replayed in Jesus' baptism. So the origins of all things go way beyond the creation of matter or the laws of physics or the powerful explosions. Though all of those things may have been part of the creative process, they are not our origins. The origins of the universe are found in love because God is love. That's the glorious truth revealed in the scriptures from beginning to end. Let me just take you to one other place. In in John's gospel, chapter 17, we see Jesus praying on the evening before he's going to be crucified. He's speaking of how he is one with the Father and desires that his followers also will be one just as he is one with the Father. And then in verse 24 of John 17, Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What was God doing before the foundation of the world? He was loving his son, glorying in him and communicating that love by the Spirit. That's why Jesus is called the anointed one. He is full of the Spirit who communicates the love and delight of the Father to him. And the eternal Son too, before time began, was delighting in his Father. That's what was there before all things were made. So before God is creator, he is and always has been father, loving his son 
in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So what does all of this mean? It means that the center of reality and the origin of all things is a God who is inherently outgoing, other person-centered, and life-giving within himself. Not a self-centered, needy, lonely, impersonal, brutish power. Rather, he is a God whose joy is found in delighting in the other, just as we saw at Jesus' baptism. And so creation is an overflow of that love, spreading out and making physical the delight that exists within God. That's why the design is that babies should be born as a result of the physical union of a man and wife to be, as it were, an incarnation of their love, a physical embodiment of their love. And so in the same way, all of creation embodies something of the love of God that has existed for all time. Since God has for eternity enjoyed life-giving, outward-looking love that draws the other in, it is no surprise that creation happens. He has no need of us to serve him, no need of us to counteract some deficit or loneliness within him. No, in him is fullness, and he delights to share that fullness with others. He always has, and that's what he draws us and creation into. And so, of course, Jesus will say in Mark 10, 45, that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is just entirely consistent with what God is like. A self-giving, life-giving God of ever-spreading goodness, drawing the other in. And so, through each day of creation, the goodness of God is proclaimed. It is good. It is good. It is good. As the love of God spreads abroad, the blessedness of God. And so again, Mike Reeves puts it like this. He says, God is simply bursting with warm and life-imparting nourishment far more willing to give than we are to receive. Do you know that? God is far more willing to give to you than you are to receive. In the beginning, God, Genesis 1.1. God is love, 1 John 4.8. So in the beginning, love. Love is the origin of all things. And that is why wherever we see genuine examples of self-giving, other-focused love, it moves us. We know that it is good because therein lies our origins. <coughs> There's a new show on the TV at the moment called The Greatest Dancer, okay, which I've not routinely watched, but um, I saw a clip of it the other day, and it was a clip of a, a young man with Down syndrome. And I was interested because my brother's got Down syndrome, and this young man with Down syndrome struggles with his coordination. But when he dances, it all comes together. And he's got this amazing ability to dance. And so the way the show works is that they, they put you in front of one of those kind of mirrors, behind which is a kind of audience of people, but you can only see the mirror. And so you dance along to the music. And this young Down syndrome man was brought by his mother who was just delighting in him, and he danced. And he'd brought a friend along with him, also who had Down syndrome, who was in the crowd, and you could just see him before he was about to do it, and he was just willing him on, and so delighted that his friend was doing this. And he was really good. 
So, of course, everyone pressed their buzzers, and the, the, the mirror goes back, and the, you can see the crowd, and, you can, and everyone's like, yeah! And this young lad's face lit up because he was doing something so good. But his friend, his friend just was loving him, was so delighted in what his, his mate was doing on the stage that he was sat there and he was just jumping up and down. And, and then as soon as the music stopped, he went up on stage and he gave him a hug and they were jumping like this. And then he was jumping on the presenter and wrapping his legs around him. And it was all a little bit undignified. And it was just the most wonderful imaging of God. I thought to myself, these men, these young men, they image God well. Just this other person-centered, exuberant, joyful love. In fact, all true beauty in the world consists of demonstrations of that kind of love, unity in distinction. Wherever distinctives come together to form a harmony, we perceive beauty. Have a look at this image here. You know, when we see the color of a sunrise or a sunset, it's breathtaking. It brings us a sense of awe because we're caught up in something bigger than ourselves and realize there's so much beauty in those different shades. And they're all coming together to create this canvas in the sky and it draws us into something marvelous because it pictures something of who God is. Or... Think about different tastes that make up a great meal. Why should food taste so good? Because God is good. We don't want just broccoli. If all you had, <laughs> if all you had was broccoli all the time, just more broccoli, more broccoli, that would be a bit boring. But God hasn't just given us broccoli. Different spices and tastes and textures which come together to form a curry, and it is good. <laughs> and it demonstrates something of the goodness of God distinction coming together in unity and we experience and we say that is good because it tells us of our origins it tells us of what God is like dance movements bodies weaving in and out creating shapes and patterns to music it's powerful but I think music is probably my most favorite example music has an incredible power to move you doesn't it you ever had that experience where you're listen to a piece of music and it just brings you to tears or puts a smile on your face or it just moves you. Different layers, different sounds coming together to produce a harmony and suddenly we feel ourselves caught up in it. It tells us something about God. That's why C.S. Lewis in his Narnia books, the first book, The Magician's Nephew, he has Aslan singing Narnia into creation. Or in The Silmarillion, uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien, just a bit before The Lord of the Rings. Creation is a musical event. That's good literature because it tells us something that we know is true. That everything began in beauty, in harmony, in love. Uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, he was a Christian man whose faith drove everything that he did in terms of his composition. And he loved to present harmony and layers and distinction because it showed something true about God. And the beauty that was within the music pointed to the beauty within God. 
just want to play a little bit of Bach to you now. And just maybe where you are, just close your eyes and just listen. Allow this to, 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 to really come in. This is called Jesu, Joy of Man's Desiring. isn't it? It goes, I mean, you should check it all out. It's just beautiful. Um, so many different textures and layers there coming together to produce this wonderful sound. Um, legend has it, according to Classic FM, that um, Bach's final words to his wife were, don't cry for me, I go now to where music is born. Uh, that would be consistent with how the man lived just beautiful. So, if our origins, the origins of all things, is in the God of love, then what should home look like? Home should look like him, full of love, life-giving, generous, transparent, beautiful, celebrating diversity, drawing the other in, delighting to know and to be known, spreading goodness, other person-centered. That's how we're created, to image God in that way. And yet so often home is not like that, is it? We have a sense of having fallen from home. We have all of us curved in on ourselves, turning from God to find within ourselves all the beauty that we desire. That's what sin is. We're caught up in it from birth, as we'll see in a number of weeks' time. And by curving away from our origins, our origins being love, then where does that leave us? Well, instead of life, death. Instead of generosity, selfishness. Instead of beauty, corruption. Instead of diversity, conformity. Instead of delighting to be known, hiding away. Instead of drawing the other in, pushing them out. Instead of spreading goodness, hoarding whatever we can. And we see that in our society. We see that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We see it on a micro scale in our own lives and on a macro scale within society. Instead of beautiful harmony, discord. And so, what does this God of love do in response to our plight? He does what we were singing about in worship. He fights for us. What does he do? He does what he did in the beginning. He spreads his abundant goodness outward to dispel darkness in his light. And the light has not overcome it. Because where there is light, darkness has to go. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. The eternal son 
entered the human condition. The righteous one entered our sin to become for us righteousness because we can't do it ourselves. The fountain of all life takes on himself our death so that we may share again in the abundant life of God. The Father sends out his Son in the power of the Spirit to bring about new creation. He takes on himself all of our brokenness and freely gives in exchange his overflowing fullness. Home is found in him. Christ is crucified. Christ is risen. Christ is given to you and to me, love's gift. And what has begun, he will finish. And so he will make all things new. His love will accomplish this. Or as we were looking at in Isaiah 6 before Christmas, the zeal of the Lord will do this. Today, look to him and see God. Again, as you hear his word, find your beginning in him. And through Jesus, know that God is love. And that's where all our origins are found. I'm going to pray. Why don't you close your eyes? Heavenly Father, every good and perfect gift comes from you. Glorious Son of God, when we see you, we've seen the Father, and you are full of grace and truth. Holy Spirit, you lead us into all truth by showing us Jesus so that in him we know comfort and freedom and peace. I want to thank you, Almighty God, that you are Father, Son, and Spirit, a God of love, that you are powerful God, but before all things, your power is in your love because you are love. And I thank you that wherever we taste wonderful things and hear wonderful music and see glorious sights of distinction coming together, we see something of God. We experience something of God because you are beautiful beyond description. And I thank you that you are not content to have us pull away again and again. You come for us to bring us back in. And so... Even now, Holy Spirit, would you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and in him see the God of love and know ourselves to be at home in Christ, simply by faith. Jesus, we love you. We need you. We want you. Father, we adore you. Spirit, we desperately need you and we love you. In the beginning, God, and you, O oh God, are love. And so we say yes to you. Amen.